So this year, as we prepare for Christmas, as we make our way through these four weeks we call Advent, I want us to remember that we're waiting. It's so easy to get sucked into the rush and hurry of life, and not just in these weeks, but all year round. The anxieties and the concerns of each day can consume us, they can draw us in, they can shrink our vision until they're all we see in the world around us. Which is why it's so important that we have a season like this, a season like Advent. Because it's in this season that we have an opportunity to zoom out. It's in this season that we remember that our lives aren't given meaning solely by those things immediately in front of us. It's in this season that we can remember that we are waiting for something and that we can wake up to the hope that we have that this is not all there is and not all that there will be. In Advent, we remember that Jesus has come, that the light has shone in the darkness, and the darkness couldn't overcome it. And we remember that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, that we may have life, and that Jesus will one day soon come again to gather his faithful ones to himself, to destroy evil forever, and to make all things well. We're looking together in this season through the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, And in these weeks, we're going to learn what it means to wait well. Last week in chapter 1, we saw that as we wait, our faith gets to work, our love labors, and our hope endures that we might come to find joy no matter the circumstance in Jesus. This week, we'll learn more about that faith that gets to work. So as we open our Bibles together to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I want to invite you to just take a moment to do whatever you need to, to listen well to these words from the book that we love. As you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, our visit with you wasn't a waste of time. On the contrary, we had the courage through God to speak God's good news in spite of a lot of opposition, although we had already suffered and were publicly insulted, as you know. Our appeal isn't based on false information, the wrong motives or deception. Rather, we've been examined and approved by God to be trusted with the good news, and that's exactly how we speak. We're not trying to please people, But we're trying to please God, who continues to examine our hearts. As you know, we never used flattery, and God is our witness. We didn't have greedy motives. We didn't ask for special treatment from people, not from you or from others, although we could have thrown our weight around as Christ's apostles. Instead, we were gentle with you, like a nursing mother caring for her own children. We were glad to share not only God's good news with you, but also our very lives, because we cared for you so much. You remember, brothers and sisters, our efforts and our hard work. We preached God's good news to you while we worked night and day so we wouldn't be a burden on any of you. 
You and God are witnesses of how holy, just, and blameless we were toward you believers. Likewise, you know how we treated each of you like a father treats his own children. We appealed to you, encouraged you, and pleaded with you to live lives worthy of the God who is calling you into his kingdom and glory. We also thank God constantly for this. While you accepted God's word that you heard from us, you accepted it for what it truly is. Instead of accepting it as a human message, you accepted it as God's message, and it continues to work in you who are believers. Brothers and sisters, you became imitators of the churches of God in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. This was because you also suffered the same things from your own people as they did from the Jews. They killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They don't please God and they're hostile to the entire human race when they try to stop us from speaking to the Gentiles so they can be saved. Their sins are constantly pushing the limit. God's wrath has caught up with them in the end. Brothers and sisters, we were separated from you for a while physically, but not in our hearts. We made every effort in our desire to see you again face to face. We wanted to come to you. I, Paul, tried over and over again, and Satan stopped us. What is our hope, joy, or crown that we can brag about in front of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Isn't it all of you? You are our glory and joy. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. That's 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 20. You can keep your Bible open or turn to it. We'll look back at it a couple times this morning. But before we get into that, I have some really great news. Because this week I got an incredible email. You know, usually email is just a lot of junk, a lot of business and work things. But I got a truly great email this week, so I wanted to tell you about it. It's the best news a wonderful opportunity came by. I got an email from a Nigerian prince. <laughs> and it turns out he's actually pretty wealthy, but his money's locked up in some things right now, and he needed some help with some legal fees. So I wired him about $10,000 on Wednesday, and sometime in the next week, he said he'd send back about $10 million. Can you imagine the luck? Now, I know you're laughing, I know you're concerned, but don't worry, I will tithe. So the church will get about a million dollars. Consistory, you can start to plan the, the game changer that that'll be for our life together. Um, I'm really, really excited about this. I just had to share it with you. I don't understand why you're laughing, though. We're a little cynical, right? And that cynicism's nothing new. Cynicism's probably as old as humanity is. And it seems like there were some Thessalonians that were a little cynical, too. Reading through the first and second chapters of this letter, it's pretty obvious that Paul is spending his time and a lot of ink trying to answer objections against him and his ministry that are coming out of this Thessalonian church. We only get one side of the conversation, but we can reconstruct the other side. 
It's easy to imagine the Christians in Thessalonica getting a lot of criticism for radically changing their lives to follow this Jesus because of the word of some guy named Paul. See, in their day, there were a lot of traveling teachers. They'd roll into town, they'd present their teaching with the hopes of gaining followers, at some point then moving along. You know the concept of the music man, the musical? A lot like that, although not selling instruments, selling a mystery religion or some philosophy. Rolling into town, throwing out a great story, drawing people in, taking money, getting power, influence, honor, special treatment, and then leaving just before they get caught or maybe after they're thrown out of town. And the good news Paul brought to Thessalonica also probably seemed too good to be true to many. And the objections began to pour in. Paul and his friends are just like the others. They're after your money. They're just trying to gain power or special treatment from you. They've come up with a new and clever con, sure, but that's all that it is. So Paul spends quite a bit of time answering these cynical objections. And he tells the Thessalonians, you yourselves know how we came to you. We didn't get anything out of this. We worked night and day to not be a burden to you. We had jobs on the side while we did this, so we didn't have to take any money from you. We didn't get any special honor or special treatment. Uh, You didn't pay us at all. We didn't get anything out of this but thrown out of town. We didn't set out to please people. We couldn't have come with these false motives we're accused of. We did what we did. We preached what we preached because we believe that it's true. And you yourselves found it compelling, which is why you received it, not as human words, but as God's word. And in there are two things that I want to talk about a little bit more this morning. What does it mean to receive the message, to receive the good news, the gospel, as God's word and not human words? And then what does it mean to share it? as God's word and not just human words? What does it mean to be both the Thessalonians and like Paul, to receive it as God's word and to share it as God's word? So we'll start with what does it mean to receive the message and the good news as God's word? Look at verse 13 if you still have your Bibles open there in chapter 2. We also thank God constantly for this. When you accepted God's word that you heard from us, you welcomed it for what it truly is. Instead of accepting it as a human message, you accepted it as God's message. And it continues to work in you who are believers. So how did Paul know that they had received the gospel as God's word? It was working in them. Receiving it as God's word means letting it work in us. But to work in us, it first has to get in us. We have to accept it. We have to believe it. We have to open ourselves to it. For us, that might mean reading our Bibles. That might mean listening to sermons and coming to be part of worship regularly. It may mean studying the scriptures together. It may mean memorizing the scriptures to get them inside of us. To receive the message of God's word, we first have to receive it. Let it into us. And then we have to let it work in us. To let it shape us 
so that we can, as Paul encourages the Thessalonians, live lives that are worthy of the God who's calling us into his own kingdom and glory. For the, God, for the word to work in us, we have to do more than just listen. For it to shape us and change us, we have to do more than just show up. There's a posture we have to take before the word if we're going to allow it to work in us. And that's a posture of humility. Right? We're Reformed Christians, so we hold the word of God pretty highly, pretty central for us. One of the central tenets of the Reformation was sola scriptura, by scripture alone, scripture only. Scripture is supposed to take the highest place in our lives. It's supposed to be our highest authority. And within our church, one of the things we pledge when we join as members is that Scripture will be the only rule of our faith and of our lives. The only rule, the only measure. Scripture is what measures our life and our faith. It's the truest and most reliable guide that we have. And so we submit ourselves to it. We humble ourselves and hand the reins over to God to work in us as the Scripture is planted inside if we keep a little bit of control for ourselves, if we keep ourselves up over God's word, then it can never really work in us because it can't tell us anything we don't already want to hear. Receiving scripture as God's word means receiving it. It means taking a posture of humility to let it work in us. But there's one more thing that it means too because Paul keeps right on going from verse 13 into 14. Brothers and sisters, you became imitators of the churches of God in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. This was because you also suffered the same things from your own people as they did from the Jews. You became imitators. You suffered. And they welcomed this suffering that comes from letting the word work in them. And trust me, as we hand over the reins... As we let the word come in and work in us, there will be suffering because the word convicts us. The word contradicts us. It begins to call us to die to ourselves and our ways of being so that we can rise to new life in Jesus. But that means dying to ourselves as it invites us to grow in holiness and learn to say no to some things, to say yes to Jesus there's going to be some suffering, some discomfort, some pain as parts of us die. See, forgiving others will mean our suffering as we bear the injustice that's been done to us. Loving our neighbors, loving our enemies unconditionally will surely mean our suffering. Reconciling with that person we love to hate will mean our suffering. Setting aside everything else we could be doing to regularly come and worship with our brothers and sisters in Christ on a Sunday morning will be a little painful. Turning off Netflix to pray or to study scripture or to prepare for a small group will feel like suffering. Keeping sex within the confines of marriage, rejecting our culture's glorification of sexual gratification, of lust, will feel like suffering. Struggling through the scriptures to try to understand some of the difficult things they say will feel like suffering. 
and living differently than the world around us, making different decisions with different priorities and bearing the consequences will feel an awful lot like suffering. So why would anyone on earth want to do this? This is like the worst possible sales pitch for Christianity. Welcome the word in. Let it work in you and you'll suffer more than you ever knew was possible. Why would anyone want to follow in this path? Because this is the path of God's kingdom. Because this is the path of God's glory. Because this is the path that Jesus walks with us. And if Jesus is there, then anything will be worth it. Jesus, after all, says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And there is the paradox that this way of Jesus is the way of the cross, the way of suffering. But because it's taken with Jesus, it is also life and light. It is our glory and our crown. And when Jesus comes back, there's one thing Paul says he's going to be able to brag about. Did you catch what the one thing was? It's not his own life. It's not his own accomplishments. It's not all he has going for him, even all he's sacrificed. He's going to brag to Jesus. So just picture that. Jesus comes again in glory. All the nations are handed over to him. Every knee bows. Uh, every tongue confesses Jesus Christ as Lord. And Paul's bragging to Jesus about one thing. That the Thessalonians suffered because they let the word work in them. Because they clung to the word over the praises of others, over power, over wealth, over honor. That's Paul's greatest joy. That's his glory and crown that we waited faithfully. That we received the message as God's word, that we let it work in us, and that we endured the suffering because of the one who stands with us in that suffering. Jesus himself. That's what it means to receive the gospel as God's word. And while that may feel like a whole sermon in and of itself, you know I can't just leave you there. Because it's not done when we just receive it. We receive the word in order to become witnesses of it, in order to share it in the world around us. And it's just as important to know how to share it well, how to share the good news as God's word. And for that, we look at Paul's own example, the whole first half of this chapter. As we outlined earlier, Paul didn't seek to share the good news by false means or as a false message. He didn't use flattery. He wasn't just telling people what they wanted to hear. Those are the tactics of con men and charlatans. They butter you up to sucker you in. They figure out what it is you really want to hear and just tell you that knowing you can't resist it. And in 2 Timothy, which is a letter Paul writes later to his protege Timothy as he becomes a pastor of his own church, in chapter 4 of that letter, Paul writes this. He says, I solemnly urge you, Proclaim the message. Preach the message. Be persistent whether the time is favorable or unfavorable. Convince, rebuke, and encourage with the utmost patience in teaching. For the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers that suit their own desires and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander away to myth. 
Paul realized that there's a desire within us to just gather up with people who agree with us. It's what we tend to do in life. And he realized how dangerous this would be for the church if they were ever going to continue to resist sharing human words and persevere proclaiming and following God's words. And the same thing continues to be a threat to us today. People still love to find pastors who just suit their own desires. And if you don't like what one is saying or teaching, what one church is saying or teaching, just shop around and find another one. There's plenty in town. There's a huge temptation, too, for the church to give people just what they really want, to tell them what they want to hear, whether that's to maintain church members and keep them from going to a church down the road, or whether it's to draw people in from outside. Because we want to be attractive to them, we shape what we're teaching to show them that we agree with them, that we think basically the same things they do. We tell them what they want to hear. In Paul's language, we give them human words and not God's words. All attempts for us to shape the church's teaching, to be what people just want to hear, to make the gospel more palatable, to be more fitting to our cultural moment, needs to be resisted deeply if we are to share the gospel as God's word and not ours, as a word with power, as a word that leads to the kingdom of God. And it's not even just what we teach or how we teach it. It's also why we share that matters. The biggest objection to Paul was his motives, apparently. That he had some false motive, whether greed or power or honor or something else. It was vital that Paul could say and show that he didn't share this good news of Jesus in order to get rich or to gain power or honor. Because if he had, it would have undercut the gospel entirely in Thessalonica. It's just as vital that we can say the same thing today. That as individuals, we're not just working and helping and volunteering in a church so we can just get our way in the way things go around here. That we don't work and help and serve just to get recognition from others. That we don't serve Jesus or give financially with the hopes of just getting rich ourselves. And as a church, our motives matter too. As a church, are we reaching out into our community to simply regain cultural power and prominence? Are we doing it so we can just be a big church again in town? So that we can be at the center of people's lives instead of out on the periphery? Are we doing outreach so we can increase our budget and our membership? What's the motive as a church for what we do? Because motives matter. Paul showed the Thessalonians by how he lived when he first came to them that his motives were pure and that his message was God's message. The lives that we live, the witness of how we carry ourselves and treat others and behave in every corner of our lives are a powerful part of the message of Jesus. If our lives don't match up with what we say we believe, that's a roadblock for other people to receive the message of Jesus as God's word to them. So if we want people to receive God's word, we need to ask whether or not we've received it as God's word first. Whether or not we've welcomed this message as God's word to us. Whether we're letting it work in us. 
so that we can live lives worthy of the God who's calling us into his kingdom and glory. Where does the gospel contradict our own itching ears? Are we receiving it as God's word? Are we willing to let it say something we don't want to hear, to let it convict us? As God's word works in us to make us more holy and just and blameless, is it making us stick out and suffer for it? Good. That means it's doing its work. That means we're in pretty good company. Paul, Jesus, the Thessalonians, it means we're standing with Jesus in the glory of the cross. Remember this season. We're waiting. And as we're waiting, we let the word in. We let it work in us that our lives may be transformed to become pleasing to God and a powerful witness to God's word itself. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the witness of those who've gone before us who by their words and by their lives have shown us something of you. So we pray, Lord, that that word would continue to plant itself in us, to work in us, to bear fruit in our lives as our lives are transformed and changed. And that as that fruit is born, that it may become also a powerful witness to the world around us that we too may join with generations of Christians before to share the good news of Jesus in our words and in our lives, that we are following after you, that as we wait, we are seeking to live lives that are pleasing and worthy, that we are seeking after holiness and justice as we love you, O Lord. So keep working in us, keep working in the world, that your kingdom may come, O Lord, and let it come soon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.